Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer, your host. And my guest this week uh, is the host of the UK's number one fitness podcast. Uh, he's also the, the founder of Body Type Nutrition Academy, the owner of a company called Awesome Supplements. He runs a group coaching program called Fat Loss for Life. And he's all over YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter with tens of thousands of followers. His name is Ben Kuma. Now, any of you who've coming from a fitness uh, nutrition background will have heard of Ben, I'm sure. Uh, those of you who haven't, you're in for a really interesting discussion. So it's a longer episode than normal. Um, there's just a little bit at the start of the recording where Ben cuts out, but bear with, it's literally about 10 seconds long. And we talk about lots of things here, personalization in the fitness and health and wellbeing space. We talk about what we think the future of fitness is going to look like. We talk about change, how hard it is to change, but how we can achieve that as coaches for our clients. Um, we talk about pain and how we self-medicate against pain. Um, we touch a little bit as well on my story and on Ben's story as well. So it's a really great episode. Please let us know what you think. Um, if we've said anything that, that you disagree with or you agree with or you empathize with or you found inspiring, let us know. You can reach me at leanne at bodyshotperformance.com. My details will also be in the show notes. And I'll link to all of Ben's um, social media accounts um, and also to some of his other work in the show notes as well. But let us know what you think and enjoy the show. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. That's a, pl a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this, actually. It's going to be a longer show than normal. We normally run for 30 minutes, but we'll see if we can get 60 minutes out of personalization and, and all things associated with that. I 60 minutes? God, it's lucky I had a snack. <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes, but I'm sure, I'm sure you'll have the stamina. Um, ben, introduce yourself, if, if you will. So I am primarily a nutritionist. I'm also personal trainer, uh, lifestyle coach, that kind of stuff. But nutrition is sort of my main vehicle of change. Um, these days, I try and pride myself on initiating change. That's what I like to see in people. And I think nutrition is a gateway drug for that. You know, changing diet is an empowering process. Mm. And it was a, a process that empowered me. I went from uh, an obese lad of 16 stone down to 10 and a half stone and then back up to six, uh, 13 stone. realizing how uh, amazing this 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 is that got me into you know the personal training industry so I started as a personal trainer then specialized in nutrition then I realized that I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy being a personal trainer I felt my purpose was higher I felt um, that I really wanted to be you know in front of big audiences inspiring lots of different people so I took my work more into kind of like public speaking and being on the internet and doing videos and having a podcast and all that kind of stuff so really the last 10 years is about banging the drum of nutrition change I've tried to do a lot of uh, kind of powerful and emotive videos to literally get people to sit up and say hey come on Let's have a look at this. Let's have a look at what you can achieve as an individual. Um, and really my main medium is my podcast. It's the UK's number one rated. We trended at number one worldwide over Christmas and stuff. So that's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, we run a nutrition education company called Body Type Nutrition. 
we also have a supplement company as well called Awesome Supplements, and that's about that's about the story to date. Okay, cool, very cool, and congratulations on the podcast as well. There are lots of podcasts on health, fitness, nutrition, well-being, and you know, we're we're still finding our way up to the top. There's a relatively new podcast, but um, it's there's a lot of other viable podcasts out there of different quality. So, congrats, it's a great achievement. Thank you. There is. Um, it's weird actually. Since January 2018, podcasts have almost dramatically become really popular mm. because a lot of mainstream individuals that have, you know, become authors and written books and got TV shows have gone into podcasting. Mm. Um, there's been like it's it's a ferocious fight in the podcasting charts. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and there's a, a trend for celebrities podcasting as well. So they yes. already bring large audiences. If you're starting, you know, with, with some sort of um, uh, reputation in the industry, but certainly not, not by any means household names, even, even in the sector, it's, you, it's quite a lot of fight, yeah, mm. uh, to cut through all of that noise. But, but that's exciting. And I think it's as simple, really, as bringing innovative, interesting content Perhaps not going for the big name guests as well, but going for people who've done something really creative with their well-being or creative with their nutrition or doing something a little bit different, irrespective of whether they're a, a well-known name and getting them on to talk about something. Um, mm. I think that's, that's part of the key to it. Mm. And have you published content uh, in terms of books or anything? Uh, yeah, I've written three, four, four books, um, all kind of quite niche. I uh, wrote a book called How to Be an Awesome Personal Trainer, which is on Amazon. And then I've written like a nutrition blueprint, a uh, sports nutrition blueprint and a cookbook, which we uh, retail as part of body type nutrition. Um, hopefully as an, as an easy way for someone to, you know, pick up something that costs 15 quid and, you know, just educate themselves better. Mm. Yeah, cool. So why did you pick nutrition as your primary vehicle of change? I think it was because it just had such a big impact on me. Um, you know, it, it was food. It was the lifestyle change. It was the things that I was putting in my mouth. I was always active as a kid. You know, I, I played sport. I, you know, when, even when I was trying to change, I was doing running and all sorts of stuff. So it was always what I was putting in my mouth. Um, so once I had that dramatic change, it just naturally fueled my interest in it. And I think that's always going to make the best coaches, the coaches that have, that have had that powerful change, they've had something happen in their life that's forced them, you know, to get a little bit more uh, critical and innovative around their health. And uh, that certainly, certainly happened with me. Yeah. So let's just spend a bit of time on that, if, if we may. So you, you've, you were 16 stone uh, and you were 12, did you say? 16 stone, uh, went down to 10 and a half stone and then up to 13, 13 and a half stone. I started that journey when I was 18, yeah. kind of lost all the weight pretty quickly once I got into it. And then over time was just kind of building my athleticism uh, as a kind of a rugby player and as a health conscious young guy that wanted abs and pecs and stuff. Yeah. So what was the point when you were 18? What was the, the realisation or the epiphany or call it what you will that, that made you reverse that? Uh, I felt that I wouldn't be successful in my career if I was overweight. It was as mm. simple as that. Um, I also had some health challenges. I had IBS, eczema, had asthma. So I was then going into a career in acting, and I just looked at the acting business and thought, well, all the top guys are slim, athletic, good-looking. Look at me. I am none of those things. So that literally sparked my uh, interest of change straight away. And I just woke up one day and said, if I don't lose weight, 
I am not going to be successful in my career. And that's mm -hmm. what made me change. It was as simple as that. Yeah. And I guess acting is not dissimilar to the fitness world and it is rightly or wrongly, it is a lot about aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to accept as practitioners that people are always going to judge what they see. Yeah. And also I, I want to be that guy that walks his talk. Like there's no way that I'm turning up to an event or anything, not, not looking the part, not feeling the part because then really um, I'm a bit of a, of a, a bit of a charlatan with it all. Yeah. Well, it's credibility as well. Um, I think yeah. people, we need to be aspirationally fit and aspirationally healthy as practitioners. You know, you can't be it if you can't see it. If you want people to make that change, you need to embody it, I think. Mm. Um, I mean, do you think is that you could be successful as a PT and still be perhaps overweight or unfit or not have the best nutrition? I think you can. Because ultimately the business of personal training is the business of understanding people and coaching them towards change. So if you are a great initiator and you know and understand people, then you can be great at your job. But there's going to be a limiting factor. So that you set the standard right as, as an individual. And this is why we quite often look up to people that are further on in their journey or, or, or fitter because they then set a new standard. If your standard that you're setting to your client is that you are two stone overweight and that you look tired and that your skin isn't great and you don't really look that great, then what standard are you setting to your client? How far can that client realistically go? And then at what point does the client say, hang on, I'm fitter than my coach? Like what? Mm. So I don't think the personal training industry has to have this ethos where everyone has to have abs and look ripped and has to be super fit. But I think people do need to be healthy. And I think people, you know, clients have to look at an individual and go, yeah, I kind of I want that. Like, I'm, I'm aspiring to that. Mm -hmm. You know, people come to me to get coaching because I have a certain amount of experience and knowledge and know-how to do it. And I think you're only ever going to get so far as a coach if you're not a pure embodiment of everything that you try and preach as part of your work and your career. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that there may well be personal trainers out there very out of shape that are technically much better than me. But I do think you need to look the part. I don't think you need to take it to extremes. Um, I don't think anybody wants to see my, uh, you know, me in a crop top with abdominals. My target market certainly don't. They mm. want to see that I've got the core strength and I've got the functional fitness, but I don't think they want to see the aesthetics. Mm. Um, but, you know, the example that's often quoted is Jose Mourinho never played professional football, but he can certainly coach a team. So it's doable, but he's also coming with a reputation of, of coaching teams to, to silverware. If you're a PT setting out and you don't conform to a certain look or, or have that fun, if you've got the functional fitness, you probably are going to be in pretty good shape. Mm. Not necessarily, but you probably are. Um, and my, one of our philosophies and my ethos is certainly, I did a TEDx talk about this about 18 months ago. Fitness should be more important than weight. I think if you are functionally fit, you're going to get all the benefits of exercise getting all the benefits of the hormones, uh, all that kind of stuff. And the, the benefits of functional fitness, which is you can run when you need to run, you can climb multiple steps of stairs, et cetera, et cetera. And if you are in that kind of shape, weight won't be so much of an issue because your hormones will be in balance. You'll be craving things in moderation if you crave at all. You know, ghrelin will be working, leptin will be working. Uh, you'll be active. So weight probably won't be so much of an issue. 
yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of functional fitness. I mean, that that word means something different to everyone, and it's mm. always going to spur an argument. But I am exactly the same as you. Is that I personally want to be a guy that can go for a run and not be out of breath, can you know mm. carry things and feel strong, like nothing on a normal day-to-day level phases me. And I, I'll, I'll be honest, like I've been on many courses with other personal trainers where, uh, and I, it was um, actually. <laughs> highlighted to me again when I, I went I've just done a level four strength and conditioning certification and um, the coach on the course he was like right we're now going to go through a speed agility uh, and plyometrics warm-up and then we're going to go into like doing some conditioning and you're going to lead the coaching experience and he said right uh, go and do two laps of the track so we went and did two laps of the track came in we we're starting to have a chat and I just stood there you know a little bit out of breath and stuff and you know a couple of people there were literally dying on their feet and mm. I'm like oh, you guys are personal trainers mm. and I'm not saying you have to be able to run a marathon but we've just done 800 meters for a jog and you look like you need a you know a rest and a pina colada like um so I think there has to be a certain standard that we want for our body to know that our body is in good cardiovascular shape, good strength, um, has a good muscle tone, you know, we've got a healthy metabolic rate, all of that kind of stuff. There is certain standards that I think we all need to get ourselves to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, let's move on. What, what are some of the, the core philosophies that you have as an individual, which I'm guessing will then be translated into your business? Sure, I think, for me, I want to always coach that people need to reach their own level of balance and sustainability. Like, you know, people could look at my diet and my lifestyle and say, oh, Ben, you know, how come you drink three days a week? And I'm like, well, I enjoy it. It's 10 to 15 percent of, you know, potentially my diet as, as like a calorie intake. Um, I find it uh, sustainable for me because I enjoy alcohol. And if I have a little bit, I then don't want a lot. So, you know, my idea of sustainability, enjoyability is different to everyone else's, but I, it allows me to be healthy every day. Mm. And I think that's really important for people. We need to be functional, healthy people, but we need to enjoy our environment. We need to enjoy the time that we have with other people. We need to enjoy food and social occasions. So I think understanding balance and getting to people to that level and the tools that allow you to create balance it is a really uh, important thing. Um, another philosophy is getting people to realize how incredible a human they actually are. I don't think a lot of people really value their potential as a human, uh, as a friend in their career environment, the level of fitness that they could achieve. And I'm not saying again that any of this has to be extreme, but I think people's standard of their own life is actually sometimes quite low. Mm-hmm. and I have very high standards for my body and I get a lot out of my life and people look at that and think oh you know what you do is amazing and do that and I'm like it's just because I set my standards higher than you do so it means mm-hmm. I take different actions for my health and my body every day so I think when you actually just start to get those two real simple things in alignment you start to take very different actions every day around your health and fitness like you want to eat better, you want to get to bed on time, you want to make time for that 30 minute run before you go to work or whatever. Your choices change as a result of understanding that balance is achievable and enjoyable and that actually the human body is an incredible, incredible tool. Yeah, it is. And how did you do that for yourself then when you were 18 years old? 
Um, being it takes time, doesn't it? It does, yeah. But I was willing to be selfish with my time. Like, I think you have to, you have to be a little bit selfish and obsessive for a period of time to allow yourself to invest enough time in yourself to be able to experience and realize these things. So, you know, I was fortunate to want to do this kind of stuff when I was young, when, let's be honest, I've got time. You know, I lived at home, had a job, you know, had you know, good spare money because I lived at home. So I started to experiment. I started to play different sports and do different things and travel the world and, you know, eat different foods and try different diets. And then I got to a point where I was like, wow, okay, that's rubbish information. This is really cool. Okay, so if I eat this way, I feel like this. Okay, cool. So if I train like that, I don't really get a lot of results. But if I train like this, I get loads of results. And you have to um, want to experience that journey with yourself. Mm. And, you know, we live in a culture where everyone's always focusing on the end result. And one of the things that you prepped with me ahead of this call was kind of the subject of like testing and personalization. And while I think there is merit and values to things like gene testing and blood testing, they are just another tool to allow you to accelerate this journey. And, you know, something like gene testing, you're, you're not getting the key to the door. It doesn't exist. The key to the door doesn't exist. You've got to try five, 10 different keys. The gene test is just allowing you to not have to use like two keys to try and find the door and unlock your potential. Mm. So I just want people to understand that, that there is, there is only a certain amount of shortcuts, like listening to this podcast, listening to my podcast or whatever, you're going to experience information that will hopefully accelerate your journey. But you've got to want to understand and appreciate that the journey is really the process that we are on. There is no end goal. Yeah. I am still experimenting with my health, my performance, my sleep, my relationships, my activity level. I'm still doing it all. Yeah. I'm still experimenting. And that will never change. It yeah. won't change till I die. Yeah, same. And we'll come on to that because I'm interested to know what you're experimenting with and how and anything you'd share with us. But one of the things I say a lot is that health is a long game. Uh, and that you need to be patient and that small sustainable changes over time will help get you to your outcome. But that's one thing to say, how do you help people with that patience? Because you're right, it's the swipe right, you know, or maybe that's more millennial than perhaps some of our target market, I don't know. But nonetheless, there is that, I want it now. Even though it's taken people 10 years to get massively out of shape, really unfit and have red flags popping up in different areas of their health, they still want to sort it all out in three months. How do you help set the pace of change and, and encourage people to be patient? That's where I tell my story quite a lot. And I like to share the journey that I've been on. I share it regularly on social media intermittently to, to, to show to people, hey, look, you know, I lost weight pretty quickly and you can too. But the process of like my mental changes, for example, took quite a long time. Yeah. The process of building muscle takes a long time. So I think we need great, credible inspiring people in fitness to share the story and not highlight the fact that the abs might have taken three months or all that kind of stuff because it's not realistic you know i run a um a program called fat loss for life and it's a 90-day program and i say to people this 90-day program is just the start mm. and you're still going to be doing this six nine twelve sixteen months from now because it's just the start of a journey. But what I'm going to do in this process is equip you with the tools to keep going. And I'm going to keep you, uh, I'm going to equip you with the, the mental resilience to keep going and have patience and have persistence. Because if me with all the knowledge in the world still takes 
you know, his time with fat loss or building muscle, then you have to do the same too. Mm. And, and we tend to have more bandwidth and headspace in, in time and in mental headspace to make those changes and spend a bit of time agonizing over ingredients for a recipe and all that kind of stuff where a lot of people we work with probably have less time to think about that, to research recipes. Potentially. Although time is, is, yeah, we all have the time. We've all got 16, 17 hours a day. Yeah. We all to use them differently. Like I watch very minimal TV, for example. I don't use social media that much, despite the fact I'm all over it. Um, because I want to spend time doing things that are more conductive to my health. Yeah. I know that maybe I need to make more time for food prep, for example, if I want to get the most out of my body. Um, so we all have choices. And I 100% get that some people have less time than others when you've got kids and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But there is still moments in your day when you have a choice to make a positive decision or a decision that's going to keep you where you at. Yeah. or keep going further backwards um and if you are not in a place where you feel you can make that decision then kind of that's where i try and pride myself as a coach is making people realize that none of this is really that hard if you don't choose it to be that difficult mm -hmm. so we, we look at exercise and people are like i don't have the time to go to the gym and do an exercise class i'm like well, don't do a 15 minute workout at home mm -hmm. oh but you need to do an hour no you don't it's just people tend to do an hour yeah. 15 minutes of exercise is better than no exercise at all. 10 press-ups by themselves is better than no press-ups at all. And I think the problem is, again, people are looking in absolute chunks when really health and fitness isn't about that. It's just about constantly chipping away and moving forward and having positive momentum. Mm. I think one of the, the most important things people can do to change their overall holistic health and fitness is just to move more throughout the day. Never mind you. I mean, great 15 minute high intensity. Obviously there's a, uh, an importance for that. Uh, and never mind an hour in the gym either, but just to, to be act much more active, lots of daily life movement throughout the day can make a, a significant difference. Standing. Yeah. It looks like you're standing now to do this recording, uh, yeah. so standing for phone calls. If you're based in an office, uh, getting a little device, it's 25 quid on Amazon, which um, it just is, it's, it's called a laptop table stroke breakfast tray. Um, and they've got, it, you can put it on your desk and it will make, uh, I've got one behind me, it turns it into a standing desk basically. You can put your laptop on top of that and I use that from time to time. Walking instead of, of, of getting the bus or anything like that, just lots of steps, getting up every 30 minutes, using your phone to set an alarm, all that kind of stuff, that daily life movement just to get the body moving more. Um, and yeah, making the most of pockets of time as well. Um, I reckon most people who go to the gym for an hour probably do somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes of actual exercise, possibly not even that. Mm. Not one, of course. Um, I wanted to pick up on something you were saying about your, in conjunction with your story and that you can lose the weight, but it takes a while for the head to catch up or I'm paraphrasing you quite a bit there. I lost mm. um, six years ago. I used to work in the city and I had a burnout and I left and I was three and a half stone heavier than I am now. Uh, looked very different, was chronically abusing alcohol. I haven't had a drop since the 1st of April 2012. But it was a while before my head caught up with the fact that I was three and a half stone heavier. Um, and, and you kind of alluded to that as well. Just talk to me a bit more about that and what that means for people. Yeah, so the head takes a long time to change. And I don't think people give themselves enough kind of space to allow that change to happen because our head has been wired 
over years and years and years of our habits, our lifestyle, our upbringing, our career, our environment. And the reality is, like, I could get someone that's four stone overweight and make them lose four stone in four months. But that lifestyle change, unless they're being really aggressive with their mindset, is is going to take a lot longer because there's this hardwired habit loops in there that we need to work to kind of um, kind of really just remap. So if I look at when I lost all the weight, I got into a habit where I ate less to get towards my goal. Mm. And then the flip side is, is that I needed to stop eating less to maintain my weight. But then you're scared because you don't want to go back to your old ways. So there's, there's a while where your brain has to catch up to say, actually, no, it's okay. It's okay. And it's scientifically sound to now eat a little bit more. And actually, you're now starting to be even more active, like you're playing rugby or you're getting to the gym and trying to build muscle. So now you need to eat even more food. Mm. And that was a big mental battle for me because I have this massive, had this massive scar in my brain that said, you don't want to be obese again. And guess what got you obese? Eating too much, buddy. So don't eat too much because you're going to get fat. Um, and I think sometimes there just needs to be a little bit of patience. People need to cut themselves a little bit of slack. Um, and and it, it is just habitual. But don't get me wrong. I could have been in a place where I was uh, learning better information. I think because I was learning certain things you, you, and, and you have a certain amount of success with that information, you kind of go down a rabbit hole. Mm. of that information you don't look out and start to look at different theories mm. um so i could have been a lot more savvy with how i came out of it depending on the information that i was reading on the internet and listening to friends and that kind of stuff so you know the the, the crux of this is that education is still powerful but it, it does take the right kind of education and at that point in time as well I didn't really know about my brain you know i didn't really i wasn't aware enough of the changes that i needed to make but this is why we have a problem where people struggle with maintaining their weight loss because there's, there's an environment around them that caused them to be fat in the first place. Mm. There's a certain thought process that caused them to be fat in the first place. So people need to understand that all of that has got to change. Yeah. I mean, the environment is set up and the obesogenicity of the environment with labor saving devices and I say, you know, to that point of being more active at work, I often tell people, you know, you've, you've set your desk up beautifully. So this is there, that's there. You don't have to move. You don't have to get up. Everything's set out for you. Um, but then there's labor saving devices, the fact that our jobs aren't active and all these other factors, the ready availability of refined carbs, you know, does set people up for, you know, it, it opposed to a lot of their goals. But again, that, that can be just an excuse, really. And I know when, when I lost the weight, um, in your head, you're still going in, and the rare occasions I go out and buy clothes, I was still going for sizes that were were too big, or yeah. I, mean, I don't care about dress sizes, but I was still picking out the 14 or the 16 and bringing it in. It's like a 10. And of course, I forget that actually the body, the brain just takes a while I think, to catch up to the fact that your body doesn't look the way you remember, um, and that can be quite discombobulating for people as well mm -hmm. because they they've lost this weight and everyone's telling them they look amazing but their heads are still that old person and i think sometimes that throws people that mm -hmm. you know that can happen when you've lost weight very quickly as well whereas if it's over more of a prolonged period of time you have time to to keep a pace with the changes that your body's making mm -hmm. um, but that brings me to something else i want to talk to you about which is emotional eating which i think is at the crux of what how a lot of people gain weight 
or alternatively, you know, are underweight, but typically it's overweight. Mm. How do you counter that? Or how do you work with so, that? Yeah, God, yeah, it's a massive, massive issue. So um, I talked about uh, my 90 day fat loss program and actually I spend a whole month in the program looking at the brain and our habits and, and why we choose to eat. You know, you talked about that you consume too much alcohol and there was probably um, a career and lifestyle related reasons why you were consuming too much alcohol. So the first step with anyone is that we have to stand back and say, okay, why, why is this happening? And you have to be willing firstly to be a hundred percent honest with yourself. And that, and that, and that's a big problem for a lot of people is being honest is painful because mm. um, it means that there's going to have to be some hard changes, but people have to do that. So I, uh, I talk about the, the topic uh, which um, Jacko Willink and Leif Babin are famous for, extreme ownership. I stand there and I say to people, I'm like, right, firstly, we own every one of our problems. You're not allowed to not own it. You have to own it because you're in control to change it. You know, we talked about time. You have a choice to sit down and watch TV for two hours in the evening, or you have the choice to do food prep for half an hour, plan your day, and then watch TV for an hour instead of two hours. So we have to own these problems. And then we have to stand back and say, okay, why are we thinking the way that we are? If you're that person that walks in from a hard day at work and the first thing you do is pop open a bottle of wine, why? Why is it? Talk to me through that, that, um, that process. Is it, and, and the chances are that that habit is now so ingrained that the person doesn't even realize they're doing it. So what I talk about is I talk about um, uh, the 30-minute 30, the 30 stop. The 30-minute, sorry, the 30-second stop and pause. So before you do anything in the kitchen, I tell people, you get it out, you do your thing, and before you put anything in your mouth, you've got to put it on the side for 30 seconds. So let's say you walk home and you're like, oh, I'm hungry. Go into the fridge, pick something out. Before you eat it, you've got to put it on the side. And that, at that point in time, people generally just stand there and look at the thing before they're allowed to eat it. And that, let's just say that thing is um, a pint of beer, whatever. So now the person has to sit there and go, okay, shit. Now I've got to just take a second to contextualize whether I actually need this or whether it's going to take me positively forward or backwards. So what I'm really highlighting here is that we have to be willing and cognizant of the actions that we're taking as people because all the solutions are staring ourselves in the, in the face, but we're letting our emotions and our environment drive our actions. Mm -hmm. We've got to get to a point where we drive the way that we think and the, the way that we act. And then when we start to do that, actually making um, changes is actually very easy because you're just no longer letting everything else control you. Mm. So we then need to look at social environments. Like, are you the person that sits down for dinner and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, I'll have a bottle of wine. And you just say, yeah, yeah, cool, whatever. And then actually, then you think after the action has taken place, oh, I shouldn't, actually, I don't want half a bottle of wine. Like, that's not, that's not aligned with my goals and how I feel right now. So actually, that environment, I have to teach someone, right, before you go out for dinner and sit down tonight, think about what you're going to eat. Make a plan before you go into that environment. Don't let the environment dictate your plan. Mm. So for me, it's about being able to stand back, take ownership, take awareness of the problem and always be one step ahead of the environment. Mm. Like if I'm going to get up tomorrow, before I go to bed, I think about the food that's in my fridge. And then I'm like, shit, I haven't got enough food in my fridge. So I'll go and defrost something. 
take something out of the freezer or, you know, whatever. I make a plan rather than getting up in the morning going, shit, I've got nothing in my fridge. And now I'm going to put down just a slice of toast because I've got nothing else. Mm -hmm. So we've always got to be willing to think one step ahead environmentally, emotionally. And the thing with the brain is, is a lot of these problems we highlighted take time. And you've got to be willing to think that actually some of this stuff isn't going to, isn't going to be overnight. And this is where we need to put, again, processes in place that allow us to generate um, awareness and thought around what we're doing all the time. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. And I think it's about having two, two of the things you're working on when they when they're kind of woven into your lifestyle and you've, you've managed to do them. So it's not something you're doing with a kind of sigh, but it's just, yeah, I get, I go to bed and I defrost something and I wake up in the morning and I eat it. It's just, just what I do. Then bring in other things, then bring in other things. So over time, all those little incremental changes have snowboarded into something quite big and powerful. And sometimes I say to people that pick the smallest thing, the minimal effective dose, the smallest thing that you can change in amongst all the things we've talked about and do that. And if you walk away or log off from this call thinking, I could have done more. I could do more than this. That's probably about right. Because mm. after the call and the excitement of the calls ebbed off and you can't hear my voice in your ear anymore, that thing is going to be quite, it's going to be enough. Mm. So I think as well, getting people really connected to their why or their, their, the reason why they, they want to make these changes, whether it's for sleep or, or their mental health or their nutrition or whatever it is, getting very, very connected to that. I ask people three, three, what I consider to be powerful questions. What is your intent? Why do you want this? And why do you want this now? And I'd say the last question, why now, is the most important one. Because I can tell you intellectually, I want to lose weight. Uh, why do I want it? Because I'm five stone overweight. But now is the question. Why is now going to be the time that it's successful? And you actually mm. start to do something towards that intent. And okay. it, it's a very good tool as well for, for me understanding whether it's right that we work together at this point in time mm. because i can see in those answers if there's any trace of ambivalence it's there it's really hard to answer those questions honestly and truthfully if you aren't quite ready to do it there's you can see the ambivalence and you asking that question what it then does is it allows us to focus on pain and the mm. pain and gain spectrum so everyone's always focusing on uh, the potential gain from like a dreaming perspective or like, Ooh, what I, what could I have if I lost weight? How would I look? And then the problem is, is that if their environment isn't set up to allow and facilitate that change, they have to be comfortable with pain and people have become too comfortable with their pain because it's become the norm. So what we have to do is we have to rewire the perspective on our pain. So, okay, right. Okay. You're, you're looking at your pain currently as normal. Like, being overweight right now is normal for you, but you now need to focus on the pain of the future. So how do you feel right now about your body? Okay. And then they start to kind of really verbalize that and probably become quite emotional about it. I'm like, right now we bottle up that pain and we use that pain to say, okay, what can we gain? And we start to focus on the positive changes because otherwise we move towards that greater pain that you've just told me you don't want. Mm. and it's sometimes only when we visualize the true extent of our potential future pain that pushes us to take action and then the beautiful thing about action is if we start to uh, become comfortable with that habitually then it becomes a new rewired process 
and that the pain is starting to become further and further in the window screen. Um, you know, we're driving away from it because we're embracing and moving forward with the positive things that we've brought into our lives. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I think for most of these destructive behaviours or this self-medicating, whether it's food or alcohol or whatever it is, sex, gambling, it's all the same thing, really. We're just trying to change how we feel, yep. get away from pain. And there's positive ways of doing that and there's harmful ways of doing that. Um, but it's tough because you've got to confront that pain. You've got to, I mean, sometimes you won't, I, I didn't know at the time of drinking and my drinking was alcoholic. It was anywhere between a bottle and a half and three bottles of wine a day an extraordinary amount of alcohol. And at the time I couldn't really tell you why I was doing that. I think I've been able to unpick it subsequently, mm. but in, in stopping and changing, you need to acknowledge that's why you're doing it. You need to acknowledge there's pain. You need to be vulnerable, exposed, maybe do work you don't want to do. Um, and that's tough for people. And I think sometimes, I don't know if you find this, but when we engage with someone and they, they come to you and they say, well, my big goal is all around weight, weight loss, fat loss specifically. But actually, sometimes even at the end of the consultation or later on as I'm working with someone, you come to realize it's not actually about that. But the, what it's actually about is so big and so scary that they can't face it and they certainly don't want to bring it in the room and they're talking to me for the first time. So they put goal at the, the, the weight loss goal at the front because if you're overweight, yeah, I understand. Of course, you'd want to lose weight. Why wouldn't you? I get that. So I mean, I don't stop there, but I might leave it at that for the first meeting. Usually it comes back to some pain, pain always, trauma. Um, actually, they've got crippling, crippling low self-esteem, something behind that weight loss goal. And that's actually what's driving these negative behaviors. And you've got to tap into that to turn things around. 100%. 100%. And that's why I think the future of fitness is in the brain, is in awareness, is in mindfulness, is in creating the environment around you that is going to lead to positive changes. Because I, I tell people all the time, this nutrition and training stuff is so simple. Mm. Eat real food, have a little bit of what you fancy now and again, drink a couple of bottles of water a day, do some exercise that you enjoy, challenge yourself with your exercise now and again, mm -hmm. try and walk where possible. Like that's literally 80% of the battle. Yeah. But yeah. people can't do that. So why can't they do that? Well, the environment, which is their head, is not allowing them. And for a lot of people, if you're not willing to go and get to that pain and become comfortable and feel vulnerable, like you pointed out, the change is never really going to truly happen. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where, for some people, there's an extreme amount of pain because let's talk about something like a relationship. You might be in a relationship that is stopping you from growing as a person. Yeah. It doesn't allow you the confidence and strength to move positively forward. And I've coached many people where they've ended up having to end a relationship because actually the identity that they have in that relationship is not making them happy anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not serving them. And actually the chances are it's not serving the other person as well. Yeah. And that's the reality. We make, you know, some of us make silly choices, but we make silly choices without really identifying who we are as people and our actual identity and living in the identity of the environment and our potential career and other people. And then it forces us into a identity that is strengthened by the false environment that we build ourselves around. And that, that, that is a horribly painful place to be. The reality is if you want the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years to be incredible, then you've got to go through six months of pain, horrible pain, tears and emotions 
to have awesome stuff out the other side. And that for some people is just a reality. Yeah, I completely agree. And one of the things that, uh, you know, your comment about the future of fitness being more about mindset and more about the brain, not just chemically, but emotionally, I, I definitely agree. Uh, something that's really kind of expanded my practice and I've just found fascinating is, is discovering podcasts. So I put in about 18 months ago, really slow to the party. Uh, twin that with a pair of noise cancelling headphones and I'm always listening to podcasts and wandering around everywhere with headphones except when I'm driving. Um, and one of the ones I've discovered is Esther Perel. Do you know her? No. She's a, she's a psychotherapist. Um, she's based in the US, but she's not American. And I've just started listening to a few of her. So she basically has couples. They're real couples with real issues, but they don't use their names and they know they're on a podcast. So they're happy to be recorded. And, and she kind of unpicks the trouble that they have within their relationships and their dynamics mm. and individually. I'd recommend having a listen just, just for that psychology aspect. Which yeah, is what's her name again? Esther Perel. And I'll link to this and everything else Ben and I are talking about in the show notes. Perel? Um, Perel, yeah. P-E-R-E-L. Yeah. Um, cool. it's called, Oh, what's it called? I'll put it in the show notes and I'll send a link to you afterwards. No worries. <laughs> I want to say, why are we doing this? Or what are we doing now? Or what are we doing first? Anyway, it's something like that. Um, but that's really good from an emotional, cause I'm fascinated in that side of things as well, because essentially as a coach, you are a change agent. If you can't yes. get into the head of your client to an extent and understand what drives them, then you're not going to be successful with all the, all the knowledge in the world. Um, so with that in mind, let's talk a bit more about the future of fitness. Um, if it's going to be about mindset and psychology, can you see PT courses including more of that psychology aspect? Yeah, it has to, but I think it's going to have to be own courses in itself because yeah. it's a deep topic and it's yeah. a topic that we need to be wary that if we're not trained properly, adequately and care for the person in the right way, you could cause a lot of damage if you don't know what you're doing, um, you know, we've talked about getting to the root cause of a problem. There's going to be several layers to the problem. Let's hypothetically say someone's got five layers to their problem. If you only get to layer three, actually delving into that layer and treating that as the root cause might actually exacerbate something that's deeper driven. So something, you know, for example, like an eating disorder, if we don't go about it the right way, you could magnify the things that they believe in that led to that eating disorder in the first place. Mm. So we definitely need the right kind of training. Um, you know, I have, for example, just done my level four strength and conditioning course, but at the moment I need to practice that skill far more before I'm willing to say I am a strength and conditioning coach because I have to intrinsically know as a practitioner, whether I'm ready to truly coach like an athlete, for example, that is going to put their trust and support in me. And this is where we've potentially got a problem currently in the fitness industry is that, you know, people do a little course and a little weekend away and stuff. And all of a sudden I'm an X, Y, and Z. Mm. Like, okay, that's a starting point. You're not an expert. Please be careful who you take on because you have the potential to do some, some damaging stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I would probably look back at some of my past clients and think, I could have served them a lot better because I was a little bit arrogant with my knowledge, um, which is a dangerous place to be in. So I would love for personal training courses to um, talk about it. I think personal training courses, if we looked at level three, probably have to breach it as an awareness point. Like mm -hmm. this is a big problem. 
And this is how we start to make your clients aware from kind of a more motivational interviewing point of view, where we start to engage in allowing the client to make the changes driven themselves. And then over time, we then push people into these you know, further CPD courses. Um, and this is where we definitely need powerful allies in our practice. Like if I can't deal with something, I need to send them to you if you're an expert in that area, because I'm, I'm, I'm in care of this person's emotions mm-hmm. and their body. And I need to do the right kind of thing. So hundred percent. And you know, there's some great simple stuff that's helping people, you know, meditation apps like headspace and yeah. you know, all these little things that just, again, like I said earlier, just making people stand back and be more aware of how they feel and what is going on in their lives that is contributing towards their pain. Yeah. And um, so coming back to then to personalization, we, and the reason I asked you to be on the show is that somebody posted something about DNA testing, which my business provides. Um, mm. And it caused a mini storm on the, the, this particular Facebook forum. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on personalization? Or do you stick very, tra- sort of, if you like, traditionally with the, the diet and the nutrition and obviously all the other psychology based stuff that you do? What are your thoughts on it? Sure. Um, just see where I'll need to wrap up the show in about five or eight minutes, um, yep. just because of another appointment. Yep. So like personalization, we need to get to a point where we personalize things for ourselves in our own way. But what I never want people to do is shortcut the journey in a way that they don't experience what they're trying to move through. So a perfect example of this is Uh, like uh, gut testing, IgG food intolerances, those kind of tests that, you know, are are not really showing great accuracy, if we're honest. And it's why I always try and ask people, let's do a food intolerance test. um, Sorry, a food exclusion test. so You can learn what happens to your body in that process of change. So Mm. rather than getting better through the post and it's saying, don't eat bread, don't eat bananas, don't eat cherries. Let's listen. Let's take out some big players that we commonly know are potentially allergenic and let's listen because you're going to engage in that process. And then look, let's just say someone's dairy intolerant. They take that out four weeks later, they bring it back in and they get a headache. They get a runny nose. They get whatever their symptoms are. And they've engaged in that process of understanding how their body feels without that food. And then again, when they reintroduce that food. And I think that is the most powerful journey. We talked about my nutrition journey at the beginning. I'm so interested in nutrition because I engage in every step of that journey. And it was mm. life changing for me. At no point did I sort short change it with, you know, fancy tests and expensive things because I don't think I'd have truly invested in the process that my body has to go through to really work through that stuff. So I want all of this stuff to either initiate a process and you could talk about things like uh, wearable tech, for example, of being a great initiator of, you know, someone might wear a watch and be like, oh my God, I only walk a thousand steps a day. That's really bad. And then they start to make change, which is amazing. Mm. Um, Further on in the journey, something like DNA testing, blood testing, it starts to really refine the picture for me. Yeah. Um, You know, blood testing, it could be amazing to know where your hormones are, but I am not going to use that at the beginning of a process because I want someone to engage in how and why they feel like they do. Mm. Chances are their hormones might be out of whack because you're getting five hours of sleep every night 
and they treat every problem in their life like a natural disaster. Mm-hmm. If I solve those two problems, their hormonal health is probably going to improve 70, 80, 90% as it is. Yeah. And then we can go down that rabbit hole of testing to see if there's legitimately something physiologically wrong. Because the chances are there's nothing physiologically wrong from a genetic or a DNA perspective, but it's actually environmentally driven. And we know that our environment is a lot of the problems that people have. So I always want to come up my process of change with a client of awareness and change. We unpick the problem over like eight, 10, 12 weeks. And then actually it allows you to become more specific because when we don't see something change, we potentially really know what we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think people need to feel it in order to be experience it and understand and intellectually and emotionally connect with it as well. Um, obviously testing is a big space. There is tests for the gut, tests for, for DNA, um, hair tests for allergies, all this kind of stuff. Do you think that is going to become a bigger part of the future as the accuracy develops and the cost comes down um, twinned with, with the sort of tactics that you're adopting or where do you think maybe in five years will be in the fitness world? I think there's definitely going to be more tests. I think, I think there's going to be some really cool stuff. I think you're going to be able to wear a watch and it be able to know your real time vitamin D status, for example. And I think that is cool as fuck. That's empowering information. I think there's potentially going to get, there's going to be companies that are going to worm in with the NHS And there's going to be loads of these different tests that are kind of heralded as a solution for obesity and all that kind of stuff. And it's not really going to make a dent. It's just going to be throwing money against the wall again when people, again, are not engaging in the process of change and why they are there in the first place. So I think we're always going to want and progress our understanding of the human body and the gene. And I think that is a cool thing. But I think we also need to be aware that there's a limit to where this information fits into the process of change. Like it's none of this is a magic answer. Like testing your genes will show you a few cool things, but that's kind of it. You've still got to go down the process of change. You've still got to exercise and eat the food and sleep and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing hidden or magical. It is always going to be the 10, 15% cherry on top. Yeah. I think for us, and I know you've got to go, so we're going to wrap up, but I think for us, it's what variables can we remove so that we can work on the real issue? And that's how I see it. And I see it changing. I think it's going to become much more commonplace. All those kind of tests um, will come down in price. The NHS probably will pick up some of that, but that's a separate issue altogether. But yeah, fundamentally, you're left with the behavior uh, and the need to change that and everything that comes with it. So good old fashioned coaching. Mm. when done well and done properly ben thank you so much for your time um i'm going to link to your website um but i know you've got an event this weekend Do you want to talk about that or is there anything in particular you'd like to plug just in summary uh, no just if people have enjoyed some of the uh bleh that's come out of my mouth today <laughs> then they can find me all over the internet i'm ben coomba c-o-o-m-b-r i have personal website bencoomba.com Facebook is the, the place which I like to hang out and do a lot of educational stuff. Instagram is a, is a little bit more fun, talk about training a bit more. I'm pretty active on my Instagram stories. But if you put Ben Coomba into your favorite search social media device, 
you will find some cool stuff. And if you want to listen to my podcast, which is over five years old now, there's over 300 shows. Uh, that's Ben Cooper Radio. Cool. And I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Ben, thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you. And to everyone listening, have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, help us to reach more people by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate that and it would help us to spread the good word even further. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the next show.